Greetings and good day. This is Tabitha. Welcome to Wyatt Wellness. Today is July 19th, 2022, broadcasting out of New York for Wyatt Wellness Radio. That song right there was Cutting Crew with I Just Died in Your Arms back in 1986. So the title of today's broadcast or this week's broadcast is Flourishing in the Death Culture. Figured it was an appropriate name considering that uh, 
we're living around a lot of that these days. Not that death is necessarily a bad thing, but I think the way they're promoting it and just the amount of people who are dying, essentially, is uh, the problem. That's the real problem. It's this Oyed AI culture, which I guess we've had for mm, quite some time, but it becomes more apparent all the time that we have this death culture. And of course, you know, death is part of the life cycle of, you know, satanama. You can't have one without the other. But living in a death culture has consequences, especially when we take to heart what is put out there, you know, the messages, uh, the spells that are put out there. So I called this show Flourishing in the Death Culture, and I'm using a pretty groovy image of a man watering flowers and the root of the flower is a skull. And the reason I use that word flourishing is because it relates to flowering. It actually is a word that comes from the old French meaning florist, uh, lamp into florer, which of course sounds like a florist, right? Based on the Latin word florere or flos or flor, which of course means flower. So I like this idea of flourishing like a flower, opening up to that fecundant essence of life, whilst we have this, you know, this juxtaposition parallel of the death culture. So that's why I called the show Flourishing in the Death Culture. So starting off like we usually like to do with the word of the week from this forgotten English deck, let's just pick a card out, take a gander. All right, that's a very funny sounding word. Tunioperty, T-O-O-N-I-O-P-E-R-T-Y, Tunioperty. One whimsical version of many early forms of opportune that are now obsolete. Others included the adjectives opportunate and opportuneful, the 17th century opportunus, and the relatively recent opportuness. These derivatives share the common prefix op, quote, before, and the root portus denotes at port. At one time, the nearing of the mouth of a harbor was considered a fortuitous time, since a vessel had successfully avoided the many hazards of a sea voyage. So it's a whimsical version of essentially opportune, uh, tunio perti, I guess opportune, tunio, you can kind of see the root right there. Kind of a funny little word right there. Maybe it could be reused um, or kind of, you know, have a renaissance going on now in the current day, considering that so many of the words that people use these days, I don't even know what a lot of these words mean that I see all the time. But it's, I think it's really just part of this um, anti-white culture, you know, like all this just, ooh, just really skeezy words from like, you know, twerk to gosh knows what and who the hell um, okayed those to be put in the Oxford English Dictionary? I don't know. Um, that institution is probably owned by the Skeksis anyway. So the word of the week is tunio perti. Funny little word right there. All right, so I've got a couple of interesting topics for today's broadcast. Of course, going forth with talking about the chakras, we will be talking about the solar plexus this week, which of course is the third chakra if we're using the seven chakra system going from the bottom of the body to the top. So the solar plexus, also known as the Manipura. And also other themes for today's broadcast are going to work around kind of the essence of the solar plexus. And then some Zio Sludge news that I happened to come about um, during the week, you know, whilst I was perusing the internet. 
that's why I named the show Flourishing in the Death Culture, because to kind of drive home the point that we can flourish, we can be um, victorious in this culture. We don't have to be part of the culture, even if it's kind of looming in the background and just the latest um, Zao Sludge that's being you know, promoted uh, out there in the Skeksis ethers. And I'm seeing right here in the chat that um, OG has um, um, become a father. I guess his daughter has arrived. Congrats to you. That's awesome. So he said he fainted after the birth. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that she's um, she's here Earthside and um, that everyone's feeling good. That's great. He's saying it's common um, for men to faint. Yeah, I could see that. It's uh, it's kind of an intense scene, right? It's very, very intense. Probably one of the most intense things that anyone will ever witness if they do witness a birth, wherever it takes place. It's uh, it's intense, whether it's a human or an animal giving birth. So yeah, congrats to you and um, and your lady friend. Right on. So the first thing that I kind of saw this week in the, uh, the Zio Sludge uh, catalog of things going on was uh, this thing called Oomphy Meat. I think it's been out for a little bit of time. Of course, it's not meat. They're just using that word meat. I don't think that word should be able to be used unless something is legit meat it's kind of like when they say something about you know a trans woman that there's there's no such thing as that it doesn't exist right you're either a woman or you're a man or maybe there's something in between where you're hermaphroditic or what they call intersex but i really wouldn't consider that a, a third sex but anyway using the word meat is really not okay but this is even weirder than just training meat this is a whole new new level of uh i guess you'd say talmudicism there's a brand called oomph o-u-m-p-h reveals the first ever vegan burger to not replicate the taste of meat you know like you'd be chicken whatever sometimes they make these seafood training meats this is to replicate the taste of human meat and actually it was um released around Halloween, I think of last year. And this is like a Swedish company, which is just so, so shameful and just kind of ugh, to hear that it's, um, but you know, Sweden is pretty, pretty cucked from what I can hear. Um, so mind seeing, I'm, I'm wondering like, who would want to eat something that resembled human meat? Is it meat eaters? Is it non meat eaters? I don't really know who this, this market is for, but this is the latest thing that they're trying to promote to society, I guess. Um, and this is made from like the most deleterious ingredients too, you know, soy and, you know, wheat and all different types of stuff. They make all these different varieties of it from, not all of them are supposed to taste like human meat. I think maybe just that one was supposed to. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to eat any analog regardless of what it was trying to, tastes like i mean the point of eating meat i don't eat um meat or animal foods for the taste that's you know that's part of it certainly but i eat them because they're nutritious and i know that they're going to be nourishing to my my system i'm not eating them because i've, I've got to have the taste that's so that's so base that's so modern it's, it's grossly talmudic too obviously but i think this is all just kind of part of the death culture Obviously, you know, there's nothing really, you know, vivacious or living or thriving about this. But they may say, oh, you know, it is it's part of life culture because we're not 
killing an animal. That would probably be like the way they would be looking at it. But this is just a way to promote cannibalism. Even if it's actually not cannibalism, it's a mock cannibalism. You know, just like when someone goes to the church and drinks the blood and eats the wafer. It's mock cannibalism, regardless of what people think. That's essentially what it is. I mean, don't they usually tell you it's like the body and the blood of JC? So this is another version of mock cannibalism. It's a lot of cannibalism going on today. There's, the, of course, the natural flavors, and there's some of these restaurants that have popped up, I think, around, like, California, like, in Los Angeles, that actually, like, literally are these, like, cannibalistic supper clubs. This is just more of the death culture, and even if people aren't into this, because I could venture that the average person is, is not into this type of stuff, you know? This is just to kind of create more of this, this vibration of a death culture, whether you are into this or not. It's supposed to just take up time and, and soak up your psyche and make you bibulous to these ideas, whether you believe in it or not. Of course, for me, this is just no effect on me whatsoever. Uh, I see it for what it is, clearly. But just so weird this is out there. Like, imagine, like, being, like, a youngster and seeing this. I mean, just really, really weird. But apparently people think this stuff is great, this oomphy stuff can't imagine why people would actually think this was good stuff but people think a lot of things that are not good are are good stuff so yeah this is made of soy wheat and pea protein I wonder what the hell was in that burger to make it taste like human meat I mean how would the person even know it tasted like human meat there's all these different things they even have this disclaimer on their website when people asked a frequently asked question, is eating these foods a threat for your manhood because it's it's rich in, um, in soy? They're saying it's a rumor. Um, if you look at any traditional culture that eats soy, whether it's fermented or non-fermented, of course, the fermented types of soy are, you know, tamari or shoyu soy sauce, miso, natto, tempeh, and tofu or dofu being unfermented. They eat these in very small quantities. They eat them in a yang preparation. So they eat it with like animal foods or salt or other things. They're not making like a tofu peanut butter cheesecake. And they also eat meat on top of it. But when you just eat this and you don't eat the other foods and you're eating it in more of this like yin Talmudicized, for lack of a better word, westernized preparation, when you're eating literally like a pound of, of this a day as opposed to a couple of pieces in a broth, this is the problem. Um, but of course, they're not going to mention any of that because, well, that would be not good for their sales or their image. So this is just one thing out there. Maybe it's a small thing. Who really cares? But this is just one thing out there that's promoting more of this death culture. I even see it right here. Gross. The human meat. Ugh. The human meat plant-based Burger was just awarded a silver lion at the Khan's Lion. We are beyond happy. This is from their Instagram page. Khan's Lion is um, the home of creativity, a destination for those in the pursuit of creative excellence. Yikes. And this is crazy. People are writing, where can I buy it? Like, gross. Really gross. We use the internet to research to create the taste of the burger. How do you guys know what human flesh tastes like? Wow, unbelievable. Someone wrote quote research in, in quotes. 
congratulations, where can I buy it? Why? Someone else wrote, guys, what's going on? What does it mean, quote, human meat? Why are you promoting these awful things among people? I hope your company gets state punishment. Gross. Since we wanted to produce something that tasted like meat, we pushed the boundaries for Halloween. We wanted to create awareness towards our belief that the only human way to eat a burger is a plant-based one. So this is basically mocking our natural human diet. That's what this is doing, of course. And probably, of course, creating feelings of guilt or shame because I've heard that sometimes a lot of the younger ones have guilt and shame. I think older people can too, whatever age you are, about what you eat. Maybe in the past we had more guilt and shame about, oh, this is, quote, fattening or whatever we've told ourselves. But now I think the guilt and shame for food is coming from, oh, my God, you know, someone died for this. And, of course, there's so many of those videos out there. And I did a lot of work on this going back like, oh, I think it was like three years ago, almost at this point when I was talking about, you know, how how many animals actually die from, you know, grain monocropping or from growing all these almonds and, and all this type of stuff. So, of course, we don't ever see the full view. And when I think of the word plant-based, I don't necessarily think of vegetables and fruit. I think of something being made like in a plant, you know, like, and that it's a plant to eat this food. Like, it's almost like anyone promoting it as like a plant or a shill. That's how I see it. I don't see it as like, you know, someone walking outside in their garden and picking like, you know, a juicy tomato or a fig off, off the branch. It's just... I mean, it's, it's nice sometimes to push boundaries depending on what boundary you're pushing. Sometimes, of course, boundaries should be respected, but this is just, this is just gross. Like, who would, who would want this? I guess this is just, ugh. yeah, a, a waste ultimately. But, you know, just to point out, it's part of this, this is our sludge uh, death culture that they're promoting. So, yeah. And Epiphany is saying, why would they taste would they taste different free range human or city dweller yeah i'm i'm sure i mean what if a, like a cow was raised in a different way right and that's the thing that some people actually don't like about the grass-fed meats is that there is some lack of consistency sometimes a steak will be leaner sometimes it'll have a tougher texture sometimes it'll taste a little gamier uh, and typically, you know, the, the meat that you get in the store, like more of the factory farm stuff, does have that consistency, just like fast food has consistency, which I guess you could say is one of the reasons people can rely or they're attracted to it. But, you know, in nature, sometimes there isn't consistency. You know, sometimes there's more raspberries one season. They're bigger, they're juicier, they're sweeter. And then sometimes that doesn't happen based on, you know, growing conditions and the weather and you know, the soil and all of these things. But I'm sure that different humans, not that I really gave too much thought about this in general, but I'm just thinking from what I know of animal meats and such, I'm sure humans living in different areas, their age, their sex, I'm sure different races would have a different, you know, consistency, taste, texture, kind of a, a wild thing to think about. But just thinking about it from like a basic biological way, I mean, we know that blacks not only have black skin that all of them is melanated like down to the muscle just like a silky chicken right so i think that there would definitely be that i wonder what type of human they were actually trying to uh mock create with this this thing Ugh. but anyway a clear idea or a clear explanation of the death culture something else i saw regarding the death culture well we thought oyed ai was on the fizzle 
now they are promoting this uh, Marburg virus. Maybe you had heard of this before, like a couple of months ago. I think I had mentioned it somewhere, you know, on one of the broadcasts before, this Marburg virus. And this is not an oive word. You may hear this word and say, oh gosh, that sounds really skexified. It's, it's actually a German word. Uh, Marburg or Marburg Anderland is a city in central Germany. So that's the origin of this word. The word actually means frontier fortress as well. And this is what they're calling this, quote, virus. Of course, we know off the bat from what we know about germ theory being a hollow hoax and, you know, terrain theory being where it's at. We know already that this is um, a hoax, just like, um, quote, monkeypox was a hoax, Ebola, Oyedei, all of these, of course, are hoaxes. They're fear-induced things to promote, you know, the agenda 2030, essentially, all the, the climate change stuff. It's all working hand-in-hand. Hand. So the Marburg, quote, virus was first recognized in 1967, and they're saying that uh, this hemorrhagic fever, which is one of the, you know, hallmarks of this, occurred simultaneously in Marburg and Frankfurt, Germany, as well as in Belgrade, Yugoslavia, which is now Serbia. So that's why it has this name. But if you just type this into Google and you take a gander, you see all this uh, Zao Sludge, you know, MSM media stuff coming up. Uh, someone in Ghana had the virus, two humans in Ghana, that's Africa, of course, had the virus and supposedly died from it. And it's got the same shit story that the Oyedei I had with, you know, some bat in Wu-Tang infected everyone at like a meat market. So now they're telling people with this Marburg quote virus that it was a bat. It was a fruit bat, not a meat bat. That is um, basically the one that's infecting everyone. This, uh, this little bat. Bats are really cute, by the way. I've always thought they were really cute. They're funny little ears and their wings and everything. It's just a really cool animal. And they're saying that this, quote, virus is uh, Ebola-like and, oh, my God, um, there's no approved vaccination or treatment. Of course, this is just more fear-mongering. And then over the weekend, I was out. Where was I again? I saw heaps of humans in costumes. Fuck, where the hell was I? Um, oh, yeah, I went to Ikea. I saw, like, everyone in the costume, like, all the races. Like, everyone was wearing the costume. And if I hadn't saw that they were promoting this again saying that there were all these cases. And of course, they're promoting that, that ba shit, which is just, gosh, how more obvious could it get with that BA.5 uh, variant of Oyedei? So I see all these humans, maybe I should say people, not humans, out and about wearing the costume. So I guess this is a new thing that they're fomenting. I actually had gone out to uh, an organic burger eatery and the person who was giving the, or taking the orders wasn't wearing the costume, but was like standing back like really far whilst giving the order and it was it was it was hard to hear and there's music blasting and i think like what the what the fuck are they even saying and the person wouldn't move closer i actually heard an interaction with another table and the, this is a young i think like dravidian or, or arab woman who was the waitress and she's like oh i i can't come any closer because of lead ai so this is just more of death culture to promote to people to uh whittle away their power um yep just something else. I mean, who knows? Are they going to be fomenting this for the whole summer? Is this going to be their new thing that they're going to be promoting during, quote, the flu season? Who knows? And they're saying if you have, quote, high fever, muscle pain, bleeding, headache, diarrhea, vomiting, blood, this is all this, quote, virus. 
So, you know, just, just more Zio Sludge, more fear out there. But I'm assuming that anyone who thinks Oyedai is legit has probably fallen for this uh, and will continue to fall for these things. And all these things do is just to, to whittle away people's um, power, their energy, to get them hoovered up into just fearing death 24-7. Like I was thinking like all these people who were going out of the house with the costume on and they're thinking there's like this like literal um, enemy like wafting through the air not really knowing you know where and who the enemy is and how the enemy works behind the scenes. They must think when they're leaving the house they're like wow I'm really braving this virus you know like they must think like leaving the house is like this like extreme act of courage which is just wow I can't, it's 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 almost hard to believe how inverted things are. Um, yeah, I could just imagine if someone like was to, to be on this planet for the first time, but be aware and old and cognizant enough to kind of understand and, and grasp the, the essence of what is going on or the lack thereof essence, what the hell they would think of something like this. So they're probably promoting a vaccination for this too, maybe even a pill, because now they've been promoting, I heard on the radio a couple of weeks ago, all these commercials still promoting OIDAI, getting the OIDAI vaccination, getting it for youngsters, um, someone even coming to your house and giving you the OIDAI test. So it's not, they really want everyone inculcated into this, this death culture, that there's something out there at any moment, it could be over, right? Just like that, right? Of course, it's not true. So they could be actually promoting more stuff for this as time goes on with the vaccination, with a pill. Now they're promoting this OIDAI pill for people and people who are like, oh, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Like imagine being so cognitive dissonant that you're able to see through the Zao sludge of not injecting yourself with uh, DNA from racist and other species, but you're taking to take a pill for OIDAI. I mean, that's why if, if someone doesn't understand that germ theory is a hollow hoax, I mean, at this point in the game, I mean, yikes, it's, it's, it's a sign of like, not just disappointment, but embarrassment and probably just being a total shell, I would say. But I've also noticed this too, for a while, they were like looking to get rid of um, calling it um, monkeypox or any of these, any of these viruses that had like, was it that one? It was something any of these viruses that kind of had like a country attached to it, they were saying how it was, you know, oh, it was so insensitive. Like, we can't do that. It's discriminatory. I don't see anybody talking about how, oh, this quote virus, of course we know it's fake, but who cares? We're going with the, the whole scene of what they believe to be true. I don't hear anyone poo-pooing saying, oh, it's, it's not after Marburg, Germany. That might, you know, stigmatize, you know, Germans because no one gives a fuck. That's why, right? It's, remember, germ theory is anti-German. It's anti-human. It's anti-Aryan. And of course, germinate is what a seed does when it grows. So we know what we're dealing with, especially if we understand the etymology of language. And they love to say in the end of this, the Center for Kosher Disease likes to say it can be difficult to discern if this is actually the Marburg, quote, virus, as many signs and symptoms are similar to malaria and typhoid and another hemorrhagic fever called Lhasa or Ebola. So like they want people to be like, what is it? What is it? What is it? You know, and just constantly keep on guessing and guessing. It's just a way to basically all of this, this ruminating of like, am I going to live? Am I going to die? Am I going to catch this? That puts people in a spiritual stead of dying. That's what it does. And that's that's the goal, of course, right? They want you to deviate from 
a spiritual path, from a sacred path. They want to promote all this stuff. That's absolute Zio sludge. I so I so hope that everyone listening completely and totally saw through this immediately. And people are always, you know, coming to the broadcast as time goes on and maybe they haven't listened to all the stuff that about, you know, germ theory being a hollow hoax and all that jazz. But just to know, moving forward, I'm more mentioning this, you know, because it's it's part of the death culture, obviously. But I'm also mentioning it because moving forward, this could be something that they could use to promote, you know, more of the stuff we already know that they're doing, like the climate change stuff and more on the need for tracking or you know, whatever they're going to be promoting. They'll just be utilizing this as the excuse to do so. So that's all that with that. Yeah, bats are adorable, Epiphany. They're really cute, especially the ones that have like the humongous ears. I think they're like super cute. And they get such a foul rap bats you know they're always associated with vampirism they've been being used you know basically as the victim or like the perpetrator of of all these viruses right like the going back to the wu-tang story now it's this bat so you know they're just like a scapegoat essentially for the skexis um agendas so a little bit there about this uh margberg quote virus that they're going to be promoting and that's that on uh, on that end Oh gosh, something else that's uh, terribly tasteless. And notice how all these groups like the WHO and the CDC, they're all in cahoots with all this sludge to do with, quote, the virus, to do with, quote, gender. I mean, none of these things exist. Anyway, we live in a world where the majority of the news stories out there don't even exist. <laughs> they don't even exist. It's not even like you can kind of pick out little pieces that are true nothing exists. It's completely just just word salad, of course. And just one more thing about this Marburg quote virus. They're calling it the deadly cousin of Ebola. It can kill nine out of 10 humans. It quote infects, infects. International travel has taken it from Africa to Europe twice in the past 40 years. What a hoax. Will increasing globalization make this virus more likely to erupt around the world? So this is how they're going to say, oh, you know, all this globalization, it's been so good for everybody. It's such a wonderful thing, globalization. But we have this virus that happens too. Neither of these things are good, whether they're promoting the idea of a of germ theory, a hollow hoax, obviously, or of course we know globalization is white genocide. It's racial genocide. Multiracialism is always racial genocide. And they're saying that Moderna, or Moderna, is readying for the next, quote, pandemic with 15 human tests of 15 shots. I, I really loathe how they use the word shot. That word shot means like, you know, like when you shoot somebody, we all know what that means. It's, it's, it, unless you're talking about photography, which I really don't like that word used in that context either. Injection is more appropriate, obviously. Efforts Effort aims to quickly make vaccinations to fight the next outbreak. Company fending off criticism for over-access to the OEDI vaccination. And of course, they know in advance when the next, quote, outbreak can occur because this is a computer program. Uh, every time you see these, like, creepy-crawly images of, quote, a virus, it's CGI. It's like when you see those pictures of, of the globe, it's CGI. It's, it's a hollow hoax. So that's that with that Marburg uh, virus nonsense. So now on to something else that the WHO has their, their little claws in this thing as well. Let's get to this story. Let's see, I have this right here. Ah, here we go. 
So the who, of course, we know it better over here at White Wellness as the WAC Hebrew oligarchs. It's not the World Health Organization. There's nothing about health that this organization exudes because they don't care about health. They, they care about controlling people and diminishing or deteriorating or degenerating their health. So now we have a story out of uh, the WHO, the WAC Hebrew oligarchs, updating its widely used, quote, gender mainstreaming manual. And of course, we know this is about transsexualism, not transgenderism. That doesn't exist, of course. It's transsexualism, which of course doesn't exist either. None of them really exist when you really think about it because you can't change your sex. And of course, when they use the word gender, they're just referring to the outward appearance of the opposite sex. So the WHO, the WAC Hebrew oligarchs, revised the, quote, gender manual. The global health body, global, ooh. Of course, that's just Zio sludge for um, racial genocide. The global health body is updating its training materials, quote, in light of new scientific evidence. Of course, science, actual science, not with triple parentheses or a dollar sign as the S, Actual science knows that sex is dimorphic. There's two sexes. There's male and female. Men have penises and body hair and a deep voice. And then there's women who have vaginas, who give birth, who have breasts, who typically don't have as much hair. And then, of course, there are some people who have a chromosomal or a difficulty where they have kind of that in-between where they're both. But I think that a lot of these transsexual organizations are using that, which I would describe as, as a birth defect, as unfortunate as it is, using that to promote the idea that gender is a, quote, spectrum, that it's not dimorphic when we know it's dimorphic, because otherwise being a hermaphrodite, and I think that's a better word to use than intersex. I feel like intersex is like saying something is gender neutral, I'd rather use the word unisex. Unisex means it's for either one. Like, you know, a t-shirt could be unisex. You know, how many women wear their husband or boyfriend's t-shirt, right? Doesn't mean you're a transsexual. I just don't really like the language that they use around this because this language can be utilized to promote their idea of sex being on a spectrum. So here's this article. The WAC Hebrew oligarchs have begun the process of revising an anti-discrimination training manual. This is probably a raging piece of shit, this manual, for medical managers. Of course, I mean, if, if medicine already wasn't, you know, steeped in germ theory and, you know, misogyny and anti-whiteness, now we have this delusion of this whole gender crud. Like, I, I actually, at one point, I think it was a few years ago, at the gynecologist, there was a form, gynecology, mind you, you know, a, the place you go for your yoni, right, because you have one not because you want to have one or think you have one. They actually had some sludge on the form. Are you a transsexual? I'm thinking, what the fuck? I wouldn't be here if I was. Like, so the gaslighting is hardcore. Essentially, allopathy is other suffering. We know that already. But it's also a platform to gaslight people when it comes to germs and, and you know, sex. So they're revising this anti-discrimination shit rag training manual for medical managers to make sure that it incorporates the latest thinking on, quote, gender and sexual diversity. The, quote, gender mainstreaming manual, first published in 2011, will be updated, quote, in light of new scientific evidence and conceptual progress on gender, health, and development, the WHO announced on Wednesday, and this was just um, a couple of weeks ago. 
The widely used training manual is used in workshops for health managers to help reduce gender-based inequalities in medical service. Note they don't say anything here about the um, misogyny, right? I mean, medicine has been misogynistic for a while. Mm -hmm. Just look at the shit that they do to women from the birthing rituals to all the stuff from gynecology, plus all of these studies are typically done on men, which are complete different biology than women, regardless of what the Zyosludge media says. So here are the revisions they're doing to the manual. It will include going beyond non-binary approaches to gender and health to recognize gender and sexual diversity, or the concepts that gender identity exists on a continuum, and that sex is not limited to male or female. This is black hole shit or black cube shit right here. For instance, the update will highlight, quote, intersectionality, showing how, quote, gender power dynamics interact with other hierarchies of privilege or disadvantage, resulting in inequality and differential health outcomes for different people. Newsflash, there will always be a hierarchy as long as the natural world exists. There is a hierarchy among race, among culture. There is a hierarchy with sex. There is a hierarchy within race and sex. Like there's even a hierarchy among white men or white women. There's always going to be a hierarchy. The caste system may be invisible, but it still exists. Such verbiage portends a significant shift in how the WHO frames gender issues. When the original manual debuted in 2011, the group spoke of using the workshops to this sounds pretty normal and good, improve the health of women and girls. It called for involving women and men in health discussions that affect their lives and promoting equality by addressing the determinants and medical outcomes for men and boys and women and girls. There were no references to men, women, boys, or girls in Wednesday's announcement, no shit, nor did the WHO question and answer document on the update project project mention any such people. Of course, this is just a leeway to transhumanism. The WHO, who was funded primarily by the U.S. and other major governments, probably just, you know, used for health, has shown increasing sensitivity to political correctness in recent years. Just last month, the group said it would find a less offensive name for the monkeypox virus after dis-ease researchers have complained the name was, quote, discriminatory and stigmatizing. But of course, they're not working on renaming the, quote, Marburg virus, right? Because they don't give a shit about Germans and don't give a shit about whites. Obviously. So in basically 11 short years, I'm sure most of you listening probably remember 2011 pretty well. I'm thinking back to it right now. I remember 2011 pretty well. The world was still not, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, Germany in the 30s, but it wasn't the way it is now 11 years later, right? I think ever since we have gotten these smartphones. Not that they're saying that's the main reason why all this is happening, but I kind of noticed from like a, a timeline in history, when the smartphone came out, that's when I think a lot of things changed. And of course, you know, having that literal computer in your hands, which is good and bad, it can be used for pros and cons, of course. That's really when a lot of these agendas took hardcore, like just implanting in like how would they be how would avoid ai have panned out if we didn't have our mobile devices what if they had pulled OID ai off in the 80s i think it would have been very very different than now i think they would have had a much easier time doing it now than they would have 40 years even 20 years ago let's say they pulled OID ai 
in 2000, the year before 9-11. Would have been very different than if, you know, when they pulled it in 2020. So they're updating the key concepts around gender, whatever the hell that means, like we just talked about. And they're highlighting and expanding the concept of intersectionality. I loathe that word. They use that word a lot in critical race theory. I just utterly loathe it. So it looks how gender power dynamics interact with hierarchies of privilege or disadvantage. And you might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with, with medicine, right? Resulting in inequality and different health outcomes for different people. Well, no shit. Everyone's going to have a different health outcome because of their emotional state, because of their program, because of their childhood, because of their, you know, innate constitution, their current constitution, their diet, their sleep. Come on, right? Intersecting factors including sex, ethnicity, race, age, class, socioeconomic status, religion, language, geographical location, disability status, migration status, gender identity and expression, and sexual orientation and political situation. It, it just sounds really anti-white when I'm reading this. It's a feeling that I'm getting. Going beyond the binary, saying that sex is in a continuum. We know this is a hollow hoax. They're using all these phrases now like AFAB. Uh, is that it? Assigned. AFAB or AMAB, assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth. So if I thought I was a transsexual, for example, I would be telling people I was assigned female at birth. I was, you know, born with a yoni. But that was just what I was assigned. I'm like a guy, you know, which of course is not true. We even have different brains, like men and women have different brains, like clearly. And there is something that's, you know, sometimes we can have Feathers ruffling when we get together because we don't understand each other in a certain way. But there's also a very complementary, sacred aspect of that, too. And they're saying that this new uh, manual is going to introduce new gender equity, human right frameworks and tools to support the capacity around these concepts and the integration of their approach in the work of the WHO, the Wacky Oligarchs. And of course, we all know what this is about. Um, it's a, you know, it's a stepping stone to transhumanism. It's based on, on anti-whiteness. And all of this transsexual stuff has a definite overlap with a lot of this critical race theory stuff, this, this virus stuff, because it's, it's all gaslighting you. There's two sexes. We know that. Uh, germs don't cause disease. We know that. We know that there's, you know, races are different, that there's, you know, there's hierarchies, like, and all of this is to gaslight us into believing stuff that isn't true. Unfortunately, it works on some people. And they're also saying, too, that there's a cost of de-sexed language. Wider use of gender-neutral language can deepen discrimination against women. Of course it can. Like, to say that someone is a birthing person and that chest feeding your human milk feeding like that is that is so misogynistic it also is their design they want to erase the sexes um they want to erase the male sex by making men into transsexuals homosexuals or like these bitter feminized you know in incels and it's, it's working fantastically by the way or they want to basically erase women by not allowing them to have these words like the word mother a birthing woman a birthing mother breastfeeding, right? These are all words that are sexed language to describe, you know, a milestone in a woman's life, right? A man will never be able to, to get pregnant. Can they do some freaky Frankenstein garbage, like maybe implant a uterus into a man and then, I don't know, do some type of procedure where like a man could like literally carry a child 
they could probably do that because they can do that with women who are born without a uterus, but they're not going to be able to get pregnant. They'll just be carrying the baby, right? It's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's extremely dehumanizing. Um, and that's the point. It's to gaslight. It's to um, dehumanize. And the craziest thing is that a lot of these women who work as, as doulas, a doula is a woman who helps you before birth, after birth. There's even death doulas who will help in the case of, you know, a stillbirth, a miscarry, an abortion. But a lot of these women who are doulas, they are completely and totally falling for this type of, of thing, like basically calling women like birthing person. Or wasn't it the Lancet that did something in September last year where they referred to women as bodies with vaginas i mean that's like basically saying it's like a fuck hole or just something really just ugh, just really really tasteless and i see a lot of articles about you know women's health because i look at a lot of things and all of these articles are referring to like when people get pregnant a birthing person like all of them I mean, the word people is like that's like a, a government language like the word parent like those are not like real words you know Oh, it's just, it's just like creepy, right? And there are even times when, like, here's a story right here. A woman says, my job was to help women give birth, but I was banned from using the word mother. I mean, this is a, a very clear sign of, of the death culture, right? It's the, they want basically biological male and, and female to be phased out. They want to create a death of that. They want to create the idea of fear of a, quote, virus that could cause death. Um, this quote human meat burger I mean ugh. crazy they're calling breast milk now human milk a UK hospital adopts the gender neutral language in maternity to fight health inequality I mean if, if there's a woman out there who cut her tits off and takes testosterone and you know still wants to have a baby and is feeling really dysphoric that's not the reason why the rest of society should be using this ridiculous like post-truth oyedei language to describe you know a natural female body process like it's like they want us to adjust our language because you know for a, a small subset of people who are you know whatever word you want to use mentally ill dysfunctional i don't know um but more people need to be standing up for this and not compromise at all and don't use their language don't use the word gender i was only using it here when i was orating actual quotes don't use the word gender don't even use the phrase trans man or trans woman don't use the word transgender use the word transsexual certainly but don't give in to any of their language this is a language war of course a spiritual war as well but not using their language also doesn't reinforce it in your brain and remember it's like a spell to use their language that's why i don't use their word for oyed ai because i'm not gonna cast one of their spells that's what they want so but yeah just a, that's a mind zeer all this stuff with this who crap um revising this quote gender manual this is probably this manual there's probably nothing in this manual that's actually like legit normal like Aryan science probably everything in there is just like intense gaslighting you know to be expected from allopathy remember it stands for other suffering allo means other pathos means suffering so let's take a little break right here i'm going to play a song and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the solar plexus or the uh the manipura chakra which is the third chakra so i am your host tabitha 
You are listening to White Wellness Radio, flourishing in the deaf culture. We'll be right back after this brief song. back that was Fleetwood Mac with Little Lies back in 1987 and you're listening to White Wellness Radio I am your host Tabitha flourishing in the deaf culture so we have returned from a brief break and now we're going to talk about the solar plexus also known as the Manipura in Sanskrit of course Sanskrit being I think the oldest language or one of the oldest languages and is an Indo-Aryan language it's not a dot head language 
contrary to what some people think. So we're going to be talking about this chakra today, oftentimes associated with the color yellow and will and things like that. Um, it's the chakra of willpower, oftentimes referred to as that. So here's a little bit about this third chakra at a glance. Let's get into it. So the element associated with the Manipura is fire. And we're actually in the fire time of the year when we're thinking about traditional Chinese medicine, TCM. This is the fire time of year, summer. It's that really young time of year. It's hot, you know, uh, the days are, are longer. So this is the very kind of fiery time of year. So the third chakra kind of has almost like a seasonal feel with what we're talking about here. And like I said, it means um, it's called Manipura or solar plexus in English. And Manipura means lustrous gem. The purpose is transformation, which is a really important thing. Oftentimes, like when I'm doing like a yoga or a meditation, they tell you to you know, focus on something. And I typically these days as of late think about transformation a lot. I mean, we're living in a very... Um, a time, rather, a time where there is a lot of transformation going on in the world, and it's almost like we have to evolve or transform to make sense of it, right? To kind of root back in. The issues associated with the Manipura, energy, activity, individuation, will, self-esteem, proactivity, and power. So all of that kind of like defining ourselves, right? The color would be yellow, Location is the solar plexus, which is like right around the navel point. The identity is ego identity. And ego is not a bad thing. We want to have, you know, an ego, as Terrence McKenna says, so we know what fork um, to put the mouth, what, what mouth to put the, um, the fork full of food into. But we don't want to be overly driven with, with ego, of course. There's a balance to everything. The orientation is self-definition, like kind of like defining yourself, defining your boundaries, which of course is part of transformation when we think about it. It's also part of individuation and autonomy and self-esteem and power. The demon is shame, which is a big one in society. Prior, I was talking about the shame people feel from, you know, eating the wrong thing, you know, eating something that's not in fashion causes a lot of shame these days, right? The developmental stage is 18 months to 14 years. So it's that phase in one's life between the ages of one and a half to four. This is the uh, time of the Manipura. The developmental tasks, realization of separateness and establishment of autonomy. So you realize that you're a separate being from other people. Even if you live in a family, you're still okay to be separate, but to, you know, to be together, but separate. And to establish your autonomy. Now, of course, if you grow up in a household where there's enmeshment, narcissism, emotional incest, drug addiction, uh, alcoholism, etc., you probably grew up not being able to make this definitive border of your separateness and your autonomy. And you might have even thought having your own separateness was, you know, betrayal. And that may have made you feel shame, right? When it's not. It's okay to have you know, people in your life who are your family and still have your separateness and be your own little person, right? The basic rights of the Manipura Chakra are to act and be an individual. And I think in this society, in the current culture, there's so much emphasis and oomph put on being an individual and all these cliques and all these different styles. And eventually it just all blends in together and everyone looks and thinks the same, which is probably the end goal of the Skeksis anyway. But it's good to be an individual. That's definitely good to have your own borders and your own beliefs and your own style, whatever that means for you. 
but also to know that you're part of something greater, right? Because if we just individuate and we have nothing that we're part of, then we're going to probably feel pretty lonely, right? So it's good to have individual character, but also know you're part of something bigger, like, you know, your racial family, for example. What are some balanced characteristics in regard to the solar plexus? Being responsible and reliable, having balance and effective will, having good self-esteem, balanced ego strength, warmth in your personality, confidence, spontaneity, playfulness, a sense of humor, appropriate self-discipline, sense of one's personal power, and able to meet challenges. So it's all those things about having, you know, having willpower, having boundaries, feeling comfortable in one's skin, um, being reliable, you know, following through. These are all the things associated with the Manipura. Now, what are some traumas and abuses that can um, distort someone's third chakra? Being shamed, authoritarianism, volatile situations, domination of will, physical abuse, dangerous environments, fear of punishment, enmeshment, emotional manipulation, age-inappropriate responsibilities, what they call a parentified child, which could be a part of emotional incest, inherited shame from parents like generational demons. So a lot of these things that we kind of did talk about, a lot of these themes when we were talking about um, the chakras last week and the prior week. So you can kind of see how it's like a layered approach. So if someone grew up in a household with a lot of these themes, it's possible that their entire lower triangle, when we talk in chakras, we talk about lower triangle and upper triangle, and then we have the bridge in the middle, which is the anahata from me to we. So the lower third three chakras, which is the root, the sacral, and the solar, that's the lower triangle. And then we have the upper ones, which would be the throat chakra, the... Um, the third eye chakra and the crown chakra, that would be the upper triangle. That's, that's the, um, the we, right. But the me ones are the ones that are rooted in like our base needs, like kind of like food, water, shelter, security, like things like that. And then we have the anahata, which is thought to be the bridge from me to we. It's like, it's like the bifrost bridge. If the lower triangle is Midgard, then the anahata is the bifrost bridge and then the upper triangle is Asgard, if that kind of makes sense, like blending like the Norse mythology with the chakras. So what are some signs that your Manipura or your third chakra would be deficient? Low energy, weak will, easily manipulated, poor self-discipline and follow through, low self-esteem, cold emotionally and or physically, poor digestion, a collapsed middle, like middle section, attraction to stimulants, victim mentality, blaming of others, passive and unreliable. So those are all signs of deficiency, like in a very yin state, like an overly yin state. So now what are the signs of excess, which of course would be an overly young state, overly aggressive, dominating, controlling, needing to be right and having the last word, manipulative, power hungry, deceitful, Attraction to sedatives as opposed to stimulants, temper tantrums, violent outbursts, stubbornness, a driving ambition like a type A personality, competitive, arrogant, and hyperactivity. So those are signs of it being in, in excess. Physical malfunctions that may occur when the third chakra is in an imbalanced state. Eating disorders, digestive disorders, especially ulcers, 
hypoglycemia, diabetes, muscle spasms, muscular disorders, chronic fatigue, hypertension, disorders of the stomach, pancreas, gallbladder, and liver. And what are some healing strategies, of course? How can we do something to, uh, to heal ourselves? Taking risks. And of course, for some people, their whole life revolves around taking risks. Like, I'm not talking about someone who, you know, needs to feel alive and, and does all these kind of daredevil things. I'm talking about, you know, taking risks within reason, like, you know, not walking in traffic or something like that, but maybe taking a risk like, um, I don't know, trying a new fitness class, enrolling in a course, you know, trying a new vegetable that you saw at the supermarket or the farm market, you know, just trying new things. Some people are so uh, adverse to trying something even new, like a new piece of fruit, you know, because they're like, oh, I'm not going to like it. Like, okay, maybe you don't like it. You know that now it's data that you've computed and maybe you'll like something else, right? As opposed to being so kind of just stuck, right? I think there's a lot of the uh, themes of being stuck with the third chakra. Another healing strategy, grounding and emotional contact. So, you know, grounding with the earth, having emotional contact. And that could be from, it could be from a lover. It could be from a pet. It could be from, you know, a parent. It could be from a friend. You know, like we oftentimes, we need these, this contact in our life. It doesn't have to be necessarily actually getting a hug from someone else. It could even just be like having a good call or a good email from someone. If you don't know that person in person, or maybe you, you live really far away, just knowing that emotional contact at someone else's, you know, looking out for you or, or cares about you, that, that means a lot. I think especially in this world where there's just so much of that in the opposite direction. Other healing strategies include deep relaxation and stress control that can look very different for a lot of people. That could be something like yoga nidra, which is like kind of like a sleeping type of yoga, very relaxing. It could be taking a warm bath. It could be deep breathing. It could be all different types of things. Any way that you feel makes your nervous system get calm. Oh, and something I will mention too that we'll probably expand on when I do more shows in the future, but when one has an orgasm, that's actually a nervous system response. And we've talked before on the broadcast how the nervous system health predates the endocrine or the hormonal health. So we've got to get that um, we've got to get that nervous system in balance first before the hormonal system can be in balance. And one of the best ways to heal your nervous system there's all this information out now about healing your nervous system, like doing all these things. I don't hear anybody talking about this, but one of the easiest ways to heal your nervous system is to have an orgasm, right? So that could be from solo tantra, that could be from a lovemaking escapade with your romance partner, whatever it may be, but that's a really good way to do healing. And I think it's it's kind of a slightly maybe a taboo thing to talk about because we always see sex as this, you know, in this Xian kind of mindset that it's, you know, it's dirty or it's it's only for procreation, but a way to heal your nervous system can be by having an orgasm. Exercise, another healing strategy for the third chakra. Uh, that could be really anything. Uh, they're saying running and aerobics. Those can be, sometimes can keep you, put you out of breath if you do too much of that aerobic exercise. I think it's better to do more vigorous exercise, like maybe like a, a steep hike or, you know, lifting weights or doing some pranayama, you know, whatever, whatever you like, but knowing that the body has some movement, it could be anything, it could be dancing, whatever makes you feel like you're in your body is groovy. Martial arts, doing sit-ups and things like that, abdominal work, right? Psychotherapy. I mean, this is something that maybe 
depending, you know, maybe you don't want to go to see someone and tell them their pro your problems. Maybe you don't want to see someone who's in the confines of the system. Like, think about it. As a, as a, a where white person going into a psychotherapeutic situation, are you really going to be able to divulge, like, how you feel about the world? Like, they may think that you're mentally ill or something like that. So you'd really have to find someone who is a racially aware therapist or wellness counselor. That's what I would, if you wanted to talk to someone else, that's always an option. Or just, you know, talking to maybe friends and, you know, whoever those friends may be or family. Before all the advent of psychotherapy, we used to tell our issues to, you know, our friends and family and they would help us. So what are some of the issues that maybe you could work with in that therapeutic sense, whether it's with a racially aware wellness counselor or even a friend or family, building ego strength, release or contain your anger, work on shame issues, strengthen your will and encourage autonomy. And of course, you know, a lot of this stuff, it may sound very daunting at first. I, I can imagine hearing all this, especially if you're new to this, it may sound really intense, but little steps. Every time we live better and we optimize, it's a drop in the bucket in the right direction. And also you may not even know it could be inspiring somebody else, whether you're putting that out like on a post or on a page on an anti-social media platform. Maybe you're just telling somebody that, you know, you did something that was a win. These are all ripple effects that we can all, you know, gain the benefits of essentially, right? Because if one person's doing something that's positive and groovy for them, chances are you'll say, oh, wow, like, they look really good. Like they look like they're really doing well. Maybe I'll try that. And, you know, it, it goes, it goes like that. What are some affirmations we can use to heal the Manipura? I honor the power within me. I accomplish tasks easily and effortlessly. The fire within me burns through all blocks and fears. So you can use that fire, even some of that, maybe that anger, because I think probably all of us have anger to a certain extent, right? It's, it's a typical reaction to what we see in this world today. So maybe you can use that fire or anger that you have inside of you to fuel a good workout to imagine it burning through maybe the blockages and fears that you have, right? There's a lot of things you can do that are very powerful with your visualizations. And finally, I can do whatever I will to do. So kind of taking back your power, like 6-4 Arian is saying in the chat, unlimited power. Like we do have it. We just don't know we have it, right? They always want us to think that we have no power. We have no choice. And there's a lot of information that's put out there just to demoralize by design, obviously. But knowing that we do have power, it really comes from the third chakra. This is the white power chakra, is the Manipura. I mean, they, they all are essentially, but this is really the one. If you're looking to cultivate that power, you would want to focus on the, uh, the third chakra. So a little bit there about the third chakra. And one final thing. What do people with a balanced solar plexus say? I create my own reality. And if we go back a few weeks ago, the people, the one for the root, the root chakra, I am present and aware. The sacral chakra, I am productive. And the solar plexus, I create my own reality, which may sound kind of intense being like, well, wait, how do I do that? But we do. You create your reality by what you put in your mouth, um, by what you allow your eyes to see, right? So there's a lot of things we have control over in this world. But strengthening the third chakra, whether you're dealing with a deficiency or excess, and sometimes we could be dealing with a little bit of both, like some of these TCM diagnostics talk about someone dealing with a deficiency of both yin and yang, right? So it's possible you could be dealing with the deficient aspect of a third chakra of like, let's say low energy and being passive, but you also may be dealing with the excess of being arrogant and stubborn, right? So I mean, it can it can kind of go either which way. 
So a little bit there about the uh, the Manipura, what they call the lustrous gem in Sanskrit. And there's so much information out there uh, about it. So if this if this was appetizing for you or kind of planted a seed, you could just, you know, look up, you know, ways to heal the third chakra, you know, foods for it, you know, whatever it may be, exercises, etc. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can do. Even just wearing the colors that are associated with those chakras. Like if you're working on, you know, money porta work, maybe you want to wear yellow. Maybe you want to have yellow around the house. And yellow is kind of like an intense color. Some say it could actually induce anxiety. I mean, maybe you don't want to have like taxi cab yellow, right? Maybe you want to have like more of a soothing kind of lemon yellow. There's also a freshness and a renewal aspect of, of yellow. So yeah, I hope that was helpful a little bit about the solar plexus. And now I wanted to read something that's kind of on the same vein of the solar plexus or the Manipura. This is the um, about, you know, it's about will and willpower and all of that stuff. And I see that as kind of like warrior things. Like if you can really get yourself right, that's that's the warrior chakra, which is the, uh, the Manipura. So I wanted to read this little piece. It's kind of an addendum to what we just talked about with the solar plexus about how we can become a warrior and not a warrior, which of course that worry emotion or feeling is associated with an imbalanced manipura or an imbalanced chakra. And I think also when we're talking about the organs that would be affected by worry, that would be the spleen. We don't hear too much about the spleen, especially in allopathy, right? So the word warrior, of course, this is a fighter, a soldier, a combatant, also known as a yoga pose, right? In which the legs are held apart and the arms are stretched outward. And where does this word warrior come from? It's an old Northern French um, word coming from the word warrior, W-E-R-R-E-I-O-R, -R -E a variant of old French gourieux or gourieux, meaning war or goure war. So it means war, right? And war, of course, doesn't just mean physical uh, combat. It means, you know, more than that. I mean, that's kind of what we always think it means, but it's more than that. It's basically, I guess, fighting for something, right? Or um, crusading for something or a struggle, a movement, right? Drive. So it's it's definitely something. And not to say that we should constantly be in this state where we think that we have to be fighting something. Some say that's actually not a a good state to be in, like to never struggle and never be in war. But some might say, oh, that's rather passive. That's, you know, a deficiency of the third chakra. I think we have to look at it kind of um, all mixed back. And if we really take it all the way back to the word war, which where the word warrior comes from, it can be traced back to the Indo-European root war, W-E-R-S, wars, to confuse and mix up. So that's essentially what war means, to confuse and mix up. So a warrior would be someone who's trying to slice through the confusion. You can see yourself more as that as opposed to someone who's, you know, got a shield and, and, a, and a sword. You're someone who's trying to create less confusion in the world, less mix-up, someone who's trying to bring clarity or light. That's essentially what I see as a warrior as opposed to someone who's just touting weapons. And it may be that in many instances, but I'm talking about it now more in a, in a spiritual um, way, I guess, and what I'm meaning is to basically create some light that gets rid of the confusion, gets rid of the mix-up, gets because we live in an age, a sea of all of this, this sludge, right? 
So a little bit about become a warrior, not a worrier. And of course, all the stuff we talked about prior, all this, this who sludge with quote gender, this human training meat, whatever quote meat or triple parentheses meat, all this stuff about the quote virus. I mean, all of this could leave someone in a state of being a warrior as opposed to a warrior. So let's talk about becoming a warrior, not a warrior. It takes a certain amount of bravery to step out of Step out with determination on the path to a simpler life, in tune with yourself and with the earth. I encourage you all to do, to become warriors for the earth. By doing so, you will learn to let go of the things that are cluttering your life and limiting you in so many ways. You will learn to simplify and stay sane in a crazy world. Very important. A warrior goes slow in this world. Not too slow, but slow enough so that they are fully present with every step that they take. They can also move fast when needed, but only when it is required. A warrior does not rush. They are methodical, um, methodical and powerful in their measured pace, and they honor themselves at all times. This must not be mistaken for laziness. Laziness is a completely different matter. A warrior is not lazy, although they also know when to let loose for a little and take it easy. It's highly important for a warrior to allow plenty of, quote, downtime, to keep the batteries topped up so they are full of warrior duties. And of course, rest is so important. Taking that downtime, always important stuff. The world does not need any more headless chickens running around. There are enough of these already. You know the ones, the people running around caught up in the permanent state of drama and panic. Strive not to be one of these people. Being in a state of stress and rush does not serve anyone. And no, it, well, it serves the Skeksis, obviously, right? But it, it doesn't serve us um, as a singular entity. It doesn't serve us as a racial entity. Uh, and it really doesn't even serve the planet from like an energetic perspective, that, that constant on feeling all the time. No, not, not good. A warrior is someone who is doing their inner work, someone who is facing their shit. A warrior is someone who has, quote, got out of their own way who is humbly going about their work, carrying light and unafraid to shine brightly for all to see with no shame or fear of judgment. A warrior lives not from the ego, but from their heart. A warrior lets heart, their heart lead the way in their life using their mind as a tool. And we do live in a society that's over intellectualized. We do need a balance, but when we don't have that more kind of feminine heart like aspect of it, it gets really imbalanced and then we see a lot of just weird stuff going on in the culture and I think one of these results is seeing women who have become more aggressive and masculinized as a result of men becoming you know feminized and becoming like not just physically weak but just weak in general to say that women are the the polar opposite of being weak but when a man is on his power he kind of embodies this weak this um or this kind of downside of they call the dark feminine and that would be weakness and a masculine you know being emasculated and that's one of the consequences of living completely in the mind in this kind of you know hyper tabulated masculinized way as opposed to having this like heart essence or wisdom we need the balance of both especially if we don't want to deal with all this this wacky weird stuff with you know the sexes being topsy-turvy and I'm not even talking about transsexualism right now I'm talking about basic heterosexual male and female 
where we have situations where women are extremely overly young and aggressive and masculine. And that's a, most of the time a turnoff for men, unless of course these men are like cocked and, you know, love being like whipped and abused. And there are men like that, unfortunately. And then we have these men who have become just weak and cocked and, and beta and their bodies have gone to pot. And this is all the work of the Skeksis. A warrior has calmed their mind enough to be able to listen to their heart. So listening to that feminine intuition, not just being caught up in more of the, you know, the yang side of things. We need a balance of everything, you know, to really create that balance within us and in the world. We need a balance in everything out there. And equality is not the same as balance. Like saying that we want to blend all the sexes, blend all the races. That is not equality. That is erasure. There's a humongous difference when we have balance, we have polarity on both sides. We have balanced male, balanced female, you know, balanced masculine, balanced feminine. This, this, all this stuff with transsexualism and even the virus to an extent, because, you know, germ theory is black cube culture. Anyone could catch it. Anyone could get it, which of course we know is fake. And all this, you know, this anti-white critical race theory stuff, this is about erasure, equalization. Equality is about erasure. It's death culture. It's not about balancing the sacred. A warrior is healing their own conditioning wounds and blocks. A warrior listens to their intuition and lives to be in service. That doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It means that it's not just about exchanging funds for this and that it's more about an energetic exchange that's more of a feminine way of looking at things like even when i'm working with other humans in a counseling way i'm seeing it not that they're just throwing money at me and i'm telling them stuff i'm seeing it as a service like i'm in service to help them become you know a more balanced human right and then i'm giving them this this information and you know the comfort of 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 the of the work and they're getting something from it. It's it's more of a, of a sacred um, relationship like that as opposed to just, I give you this and you give me that. It's being in, in service and it's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're in service to, I don't know, some Talmudic entity, well, that's obviously no good, but being in service as a way to you know, generate wealth as a, as a business model. That's actually a very nice way of looking at it. It's also a nice way of looking at it being in service to your racial brethren, right, for the greater good. Now, are there people out there of our race that are probably not worth saving who probably never want to? Of course, that's always going to be the way it is. And it's not our job to save everybody. But those of us who we are working with, wherever the context it may be, we can be in service to those souls like they would be in service to us, right? A warrior is in touch with both their masculine and their feminine side. They are strong and soft, soft and strong. So again, a balance of the energies. It's not, you know, erasure-based uh, equality, which is, you know, obviously what they're promoting with all the, the stuff they've been promoting for forever, but it's, it's even more intensely obvious in the last hmm, five, ten years, I guess I would say. And finally, a warrior lives to bring change to old structures that aren't serving the world anymore. They will not stop until they change for the better. So aim to be a warrior. Make some changes in your life. Be someone who gives, someone who shares, and someone who cares. Be an example. Be the change. Step into it and see how groovy it feels. So a little bit there. Hope that was helpful and kind of on the same realm of talking about the Manipura or the solar plexus, and that is definitely 
the white power warrior warrior chakra. So yeah, all good stuff here and just emphasizing that balance, which we so, so need, especially when we're living in this death culture, which doesn't want balance. It's just promoting equality via erasure, right? And that's all they really want because they know that that would be the only way that they would be able to, you know, get their their thing, get their plans going, their tikkun alam is to have this equality so they would be able to kind of you know, up everybody else, right? That's what they're trying to do. Trying, the key word, obviously. But, you know, keep your warrior power intact. Don't allow anyone or anything to hoover it away from you. So now moving on to something else, kind of an extension of some of the solar plexus stuff we talked about. So we talked about all the stuff about the solar plexus, essentially just a general overview and then we talked about how to make ourselves into a warrior, you know, from kind of more of a, of a fortifying perspective. Now I want to talk about eight habits of healthy humans. And all of this can kind of build into becoming that warrior, right? So here are some eight habits of healthy people. And all of these will help all the chakras, essentially, right? But since today we're talking about the solar plexus, we'll kind of tailor this to more of that solar plexus vibe. So the top habits of healthy people, and here they are. Number one is to slow down. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but you know, we live in this fast-paced culture like we had talked about a little bit earlier on the broadcast. Slowing down to appreciate whatever is good in your life right now and fully take it in is one of the most important habits you can cultivate. Absolutely. And that's kind of like the idea of just putting sensuality into everything you do. Like, do you want to just scarf down a bunch of strawberries or do you want to taste them, right? You have the choice every day how you want to approach this. Always remember that. Get off of the whirl, get off the whirly gig of time. That's a weird word, whirly gig of time. And instead make time for rest and appreciation. Listen to birds, take a dusk or dawn walk in the park, journal, take a nap, lie in a hammock. You are always optimizing your day. If you're always optimizing your day, you may be propelling yourself towards if you're always optimizing your day, you may be propelling yourself towards a lack of connection. Okay, so if someone like every moment of someone's life is about, you know, trying to optimize from that kind of masculine masculine perspective, like, oh, I've got to eat beef liver every day, you know, I've got to get eight glasses of water in. That's the type of optimization I'm talking about. But in a way, lying in a hammock and doing nothing for a half hour, that is optimizing your day from more of the feminine kind of passive yin way as opposed to like this stringent tabulated thing where you have to eat X amount of this or you're a failure, which is just, obviously that's not true, but by slowing down, you actually are optimizing. So I'm kind of putting my own little twist on it. Being in a constant hurry may sound super efficient, but time urgency, the sense that we don't have enough time translates to anxiety, rush, and impatience. Rushing can block meaningful communication can cause stress and breed resentment. And of course, that's a mindset to believe we don't have enough time. It's based on the scarcity mindset, which the Skeksis promote scarcity mindset, because why would they promote abundance, right? Our nature is to be abundant, to take in, to receive, especially for women who's yin, who's receptive. Like, look, we actually have the genitals to, to take in, to, you know, to receive, to surrender, right? Cultivate novelty. Although habits and novelty may seem mutually exclusive, getting comfortable with being curious brings novelty into your routine. So for example, if you have a daily habit of walking, 
maybe take a different route, right? Take a different way, walk the opposite way, however you do it, go somewhere different, right? Like I like to mix it up and go to different, different places. These keeps, this keeps habits fresh and easy to adhere to, even driving to the food store a different direction. Novelty leads to, leads to increased levels of dopamine that keeps your brain happy and fosters personal growth. It doesn't mean that you can't go back to a familiar haunt or restaurant, but try to make it a practice to order something new, explore a beloved spot at a different time of the year, or anything that gives a familiar twist. So cultivating novelty will, is also like, I would say, I'd say it's a habit of youth too, because oftentimes when people get older, they get so stuck in their ways and they don't cultivate that novelty. And then they get that crotchety kind of like elderly thing going on, which we see even in the youth these days, not just the elderly. Number three, find your belonging. Living as part of a community has enormous ramifications for one's health. Multiple studies show that living in an active community gives people a sense of belonging, which reduces the risk of all types of, you know, mental and physical health ills. Feeling that we are part of something bigger can help give our lives meaning. The benefits of social connections are numerous, such as lower rates of depression, higher self-worth, and general empathy. So yeah, finding your belonging, some kind of community. I know for a lot of us in this kind of milieu of things, sometimes the people we know IRL don't necessarily resonate with what we resonate, but maybe you can find people who resonate on a certain level, but I know sometimes it can feel lonely when you have people in your life who are kind of almost there, but not so much there. And then you feel like, well, shit, if I told them how I actually felt about this, they probably would never talk to me again. But, and that's, that's something that unfortunately does happen. So try to find wherever you can find your belonging, whether it be, you know, IRL and online. Sometimes for a lot of us, it ends up being uh, more in, you know, the online sphere. So, okay, number four. Dose yourself with nature. Amazing to think that a few hours of nature can provide long-lasting relief um, for what it is. But it's almost like a prescription now that I think that there's these Nature RX prescriptions now that promote out outdoor activity as a measure to combat health epidemics stemming from, stemming from sedentary lifestyles. These are so-called park prescriptions, the health effects of spending time in nature, whether you're young and old, it can make you feel less isolated. And just being outside, seeing trees, seeing the sky, hearing birds can actually dissipate feelings of loneliness by 28%. That's pretty cool. And no, you know, no pill, no visit to Dr. Z, you know, no side effects besides maybe, you know, getting some more vitamin D or vitamin D through the skin. Number five, opt for a sustainable diet. Now, this article is promoting kind of a Mediterranean plant-based diet when, in fact, the real Mediterranean diet, not the one that they've promoted since the mid-90s, is actually very different than the one they promote here, particularly in America. But I would say just eating real, natural foods, eating things local, eating things that appeal to you, eating things that you feel good when you're eating them, eating foods that have a racial context, right? Drinking plenty of water, the stuff we already know, you know, limiting sugar, alcohol, caffeine, and flour-based foods. 
So I think that's really the way to go about it. And also just the emphasis of having a protein, a carbohydrate, and a, a lipid in every meal to have that kind of roundabout type of thing. Always making sure you're getting enough protein from varied sources. Most people do fine with the other two macronutrients, but not just thinking about food from kind of like that more Western tabulated way. Think about it from the energetics of it. I think that's a way more holistic and racial way to think about, and ancestral, of course, to think about food. Think about it from that kind of perspective of like, this is going to nourish this organ. Like I, I'd rather think that I'm eating a beet and it's going to nourish my liver and nourish my blood. That makes more sense to me and that it's, you know, delicious and it's part of my racial roots because I'm Hungarian than to say, oh, this beet is a, a good source of, you know, I don't know, like fiber or something like that, or it's a, it's a good root-based carbohydrate or it's high in minerals. And yeah, that may all be true, but to me, it, it, it speaks to me more when I think about it from more of that kind of, you know, holistic mindset than this kind of tabulated, um, you know, allopathic data mindset. Number six, keep on moving. Make time for exercise every day or you'll end up making time for illness. Daily exercise is a foundation for focus, um, easy uh, ease and enthusiasm. The benefits of getting your blood pumping include greater self-confidence, better mood, stronger heart, and sharper mental clarity. Just a brisk 30-minute walk a few times a week, you can start seeing the benefits of exercise. So even cleaning the house, things like that, you know, are exercise. But everyone has their limit for what they like with that. Everyone has their preferences. I always lean more towards the yoga stuff, like working on flexibility. That's something that I'm focusing on more these days actively, you know, getting into splits and working my way up to middle splits and working like that whole area. That's because that's what I enjoy. And I happen to, you know, have a more of a affinity for flexibility in general. So that's what I do. Someone else may like something else, but whatever you like to do, just focus on that. Number seven, have sex. From easing a migraine, reducing stress and anxiety to boosting your mood and even your immunity or quote immunity support system if you look at it. Getting busy under the sheets pays off. Well, you don't have to be under the sheets, but I guess I just that's just a euphemism for it. Thank the surge of hormones and endorphins that your body releases during intercourse for the health boons, even if it counts, it even counts as exercise. And of course, it's not just intercourse. You don't just have to have intercourse. It could be other aspects of sex as well. The benefits are social as well as physical. Sex can help you connect with your partner, thanks to oxytocin, which plays a role in strengthening relationships, also released after yoni steaming and birth, oxytocin. You may find that consistent mutual sex pleasure helps with bonding in a relationship. A healthy, secure, mutual partnership is another hallmark of healthy people. And yeah, I think the healthiest people are the ones that are having sex past the time when in society we usually think, oh, you know, they're they're in their 70s. There's no way they're doing it anymore. But I don't think that's true. I think if, if someone's like frail and going to fall apart, then maybe not. But if someone's still hardy, and you can still be hardy and robust into your into your later years based on these good habits and the mindset too is a, is a big part of it. But yeah, having having sex can definitely be a way to reduce stress and anxiety. And like I had said earlier, I'll mention it again for those who are joining us now, that the easiest and quickest way to heal the nervous system is to have an orgasm. Number eight, the final bullet point, get the right amount of sleep. No article about healthy habits would be complete without a nod to the huge impact that sleep has on our health. Sleep is when most of our anabolic or growth hormones are produced and regeneration occurs on almost every level. 
It is imperative to vital daily function to get a good night's sleep, which will help regulate our mood, sharpen memory and focus, and increase capacity to learn new things and boost energy. In the long term, it lowers your risk of heart disease, improves, quote, immunity, and helps you maintain a healthy weight. And they're saying don't get caught up with the numbers of sleep. Some people function with six. Some do better with eight. I think it really depends. I've always been the kind of person that does better on, on, on more. Um, but I would say try to get as much as you, you can because it seems to be such a fleeting thing for so many people, sleep. Getting rid of bedroom distractions such as your smartphone, tablet, or Talmud vision and bright light sources can disrupt your brain's sleep signals. It does wonders for promoting better sleep. Also wearing your blue blocking glasses like an hour or two before bed or if you are going to watch something in bed to put your blue blockers on and put a timer on, you can do that too. So just some tips there about eight healthy habits of healthy humans. Again, slow down, cultivate novelty, find your belonging dose yourself with nature, eat well, exercise, sex, and get good sleep. So you know, pretty fundamental things, but sometimes we may look at this list and say, well, gee whiz, I'm only doing two of these, right? So if you're feeling like you need some balance, especially some balance in your Manipura or your solar plexus, you might want to work on some of these things. And then maybe some of those excesses or deficiencies that were on that list may not really be uh, as much of an issue for you anymore because you'll have all these uh, good habits in your toolkit. All right, let's see. Um, six for Arian is saying, I like number seven, number seven, ah, have sex, yeah. And that is part of health. Um, it's oftentimes not talked about in that way, but it's definitely a part of health. I mean, we live in a society where the idea of, of sex is always it's perverted, it's it's devious, you know, or it's just procreative. So we have this extreme thing, right? It's like this like Madonna whore complex. Like either you're you're a whore or you're a mother. Like that's kind of like the way we has to look. And you can still have a sexual appetite, you know, and 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 be a mother, be a woman. So it's just it's crazy the crap that they try to put into our brains. But don't believe any of it. It's um it's Sio Sludge. Six four Aryan is saying uh, I sleep more in winter and less in summer naturally. And Epiphany is saying I'm the opposite, hiding from the heat. I would say I probably sleep more in winter too because it's darker out. So I get like more darker. I feel like the more dark, the more dark that we have, I'm more apt to sleep because it's it's dark. So yeah. Linga Longa is saying, LOL, Madonna whore complex. Ironically, that Mary was considered a whore by many. Yeah, that is really ironic when you think about it that way. But oftentimes in society, we do have this thing where people think once someone has a child, like they're no longer allowed to be sexual. But think about it. You, you became pregnant in the first place because you were sexual, right? And we don't like to think about this sometimes. But Obviously, there's a connection there. I think the Skeksis have done a number on people's brains, making them even think that something like breastfeeding could be incest, which clearly it's not. But they put out this, this sludge to seed these ideas so we have this kind of uh, separateness from, you know, our sensuality and sexuality as a person. And then, you know, the life stages such as, you know, things like pregnancy, which is just crazy, right? Lingalonga is saying, what are your thoughts about alkaline dieting? Do you mean like the type of uh, food regime that would be rich with like alkaline vegetables and alkaline water? Is that kind of what you're talking about more? Managing pH. 
Well, I think there's always a kernel of, of every uh, truth to, you know, all types of dietary modalities. But with the alkaline thing, alkaline water, I don't think is a good thing because that's not really naturally how water tends to be. And you want to have, the thing is that you want to have a stomach environment that's acidic enough to break down food. So when someone has something like, let's say, uh, acid reflux, we always think, oh, it's it's too much acid. It's not enough acid. So we want to have our stomach to have enough acid, but we want our blood to be alkaline. So in order to do that, we can we need to eat a mix of foods that create alkalinity in the blood, but also will keep the stomach, the pH of our body low enough. Like we want a low enough pH in the stomach so we can actually digest food. So for example, if someone's been vegetarian for years, decades, they are going to have a lower stomach acid and they might go out and say, I'm finally going to eat that piece of meat. And they eat the piece of meat and they think, oh, I feel terrible. It just landed like a, a bomb inside my body. I can't digest it. It's not necessarily the meat because meat can be very easy to digest, especially if it's raw or very, very well cooked or fermented. It's the fact that the person lost those that acid in their stomach. It's like someone who goes without dairy for a while, they kind of lose the lactase enzyme. So it's about building it back up essentially, as opposed to just going on a full alkaline diet. Uh, and you're asking too, are you a fan of the medical medium? I think there are some things he says that uh, are good. I think he's a bit of a hype because the whole idea of doing what they call mono juicing, like juicing just celery, juicing just carrot, just apples, whatever it may be, that's been around since the 70s, mono juicing. He just kind of put his name on it. And celery juice does have a lot of minerals and salt so people can feel better when they take it. But also they have to be curious or cautious rather that they're getting healthy celery because if celery is not organic, yes, exactly, celery juicing is full of chemicals. So if celery is not organic, it's one of those vegetables since it's so soft and so spongy, it can absorb all of the stuff, right? So imagine like the crops are being sprayed with all different types of sprays. That could be a problem. I mean, I think the best thing to do is really focus on eating fruits and vegetables that are organic. Maybe you are growing them yourself or you have, you know, uh, a friend that does, you can go to a farm market. I think it's always best to kind of go that route and just eat good food. Like for example, cucumbers are a good food to eat, right? You can make those out of a juice, but those also can be full of chemicals if it's not, you know, organic. What do you think about meat intake uh, minimal? I think the amount depends on the person. Um, you mean all animal foods or you're just talking about like land meat as opposed to fish? Because some people consider fish to be meat. I think that we do need to eat some. Oh, just red meat. I think we do need to eat some, but it depends on, on our constitution, like who would need more. Like if I was, if we were working together, like in a, in a client way, I would find out information about you and say, okay, this person's dealing with this or this. Maybe red meat is better for them if they're if they're kind of like feeling fatigued or, or weak or they've got to put on weight or they want to gain muscle. Like then I would recommend more of the red meats if someone's maybe overweight and feeling like lethargic or they just feel like their blood is sludgy. I might recommend less of it. You're saying I feel my O positive blood group needs meat more regularly. Typically people who are O positive have a stronger acid in the stomach. And, you know, this is how the literature goes, according to uh, Dr. Diadamo, who's the blood type 
diet and his um his son took it over because he's he's passed now but typically the o blood group whether it be positive or negative and most of the information out there is for rh positives 85 percent of the population that they do better with with meats i for example am a negative and they always say we're supposed to be vegetarian but i need to have a protein source at every meal so I think having some meat is is good, definitely. And make it the way that you like it. I mean, everyone has a different way they like meats. Everyone has a different cultural way they make meats. Like, you know, depending on where you are from the world, maybe you grew up eating like a typical stew. You know, everyone has a different way they like to approach this. It's very different for everybody. Or if you didn't grow up with it, you may have different ways that, you know, maybe you have qualms about cooking it. Like I didn't really grow up with it. So I kind of learned all this in my, my later years. But yeah, I think that all the stuff we hear nowadays about meat, a lot of it's um, negative because they want to get us away from it. But every race and culture, if you look all around the world, you know, Africa, you know, North and South America, Europe, the Middle East, you know, Asia, Australia, every, every person eats meat. We all have a culture of eating meat, you know, different parts of the world. If it's not like here in the States, in America, beef is is the king of meats, the king of red meats, right? You go to other areas of the world where they may have very small, smaller amounts of, of grazing. It may be goat. It may be sheep. Of course, sheep can be lamb or mutton, right? There are certain areas of even like the Mediterranean where they eat more of that, right? And they don't eat cow. Like I think like areas like Sardinia, that island where they have a lot of um, longevity, they're eating more of like goat and sheep, which I actually prefer more so yeah, to answer your question, I think we do need meat. And I think that we have to find out just the amount that works for us. So you're also saying I've been exposed to a lot of smoke and electromagnetic interference with wearing radios daily for years. Any thoughts on managing free radicals due to EMF? Eating a good diet is really important. Uh, avoiding seed oils, like the, which are in a lot of the foods avoiding iron fortified foods because those are heavy metals and also increases fear in the body so things like that um and just making sure you're getting a lot of a lot of good food yeah yeah definitely iron is a big a big problem because most of us especially most of us who grew up here in america i'm not sure where you're from but most of us who grew up here in america especially if we were born after i don't know 1960 most of us grew up eating you know fortified bread fortified Pop-Tarts, cereal, a pasta, you know, all of these foods, and there's iron in all of that. Australia. Okay, so you probably got the same, a lot of the same stuff there, because that's, you know, essentially, yeah, you get the, a lot of the same treatments that we get over here uh, in America is also done in other other parts of the white world. But yeah, just eating to, to li limit EMF, just eating a really good diet, because when we eat a diet that's high in minerals, that includes all of the food groups, you know, not, not any of this fad stuff of, of limiting food groups, we're getting in more minerals. And the more minerals we're going to be getting in, the less susceptible we're going to be to heavy metals. One of the reasons that Zog is promoting that we eat this plant-based diet and that we eat all these fortified foods is because they know that we will be less um, available to protect ourselves from, you know, the EMF and all the stuff in the environment. So a mineralized body is, is hardier. Who is Zog? Um, oh gosh, that's quite a question. But Zog is essentially this world government that doesn't have anyone's back that's causing a lot of problems. All the problems we see in the world from vaccination, chemtrails, promotion of transsexualism, um, 
transhumanism, erasure of women, um, erasure of men, misogyny, misandry. Uh, gosh, I mean, the list could go on and on and on. Uh, Zionist occupied government, I guess, is really the succinct way, like Josh is saying in the chat. But um, yeah, it's um, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's all the stuff out there that is done to antagonize um, humans, essentially, is what that is. Yeah. So yeah, we need to eat meat. I think it's good to eat it. Some people prefer fish. Um, oh, I haven't, haven't heard it referred that way. Got it. Okay. Yeah, some people are like, I, I personally like fish. Like, I don't know where in Australia you live. I know in, just in general, Australia tends to be a company, not a company, gosh, a country that there's a lot of area for, for growing beef and, you know, lamb and things of that nature. But I know there's also a coastal area too. So I think it depends where you live. So we are a company apparently. Yeah, I guess every company, every country who's under Zog is apparently a company, right? If you really think about it. But um, yeah, just, you know, fish is good too. If you happen to like fish or if you have any area where you're near the coast, you can get, you know, shrimps or prawns or any of that jazz. Um, yeah, fish is plenty here years ago. Fish is also, you know, quote, meat. It's just a sea meat. I love fish. Um, I eat fish all the time. It works really well for me. 6-4 Arian is saying meat and seasonal fruits and vegetables. And Josh is saying crabs are the best. Yeah, I like all that stuff. Lingalonga is saying we have developed a tasting for only some types. We need to diversify. Yeah, I think every region of the world has like the meats and the and the fishes that they like, the dairy preparations that they like. And then you see it, you know, all around the world. Everyone's got different types of things. Needs to diversify so we don't overfish. Yeah, overfishing is an, is an issue where fish are getting smaller. Yeah, then people do the cultivation or the farm grown which isn't nearly as good so lots of issues with all of that but yeah i hope that answers your question about emf so basically the answer is to the alkaline diet and the meat and the emf it's essentially all the same answer is that we need to eat a variety of foods but getting protein is important yeah sure you're welcome getting protein is important very important and um it's something that most most of the diets out there don't really emphasize uh, josh has got to get going okay no worries um thanks for dropping in ttyl guys and gals so i've got let's see what i have left for today's broadcast um we did the eight healthy habits let's see what else do i have for this broadcast just take a gandy at my uh my phone if there's anything in here that's sassy and worth speaking about so overall, this show is just an antidote to the, the death culture that's out there that, you know, tries to make people, well, just fear life, right? They want us to fear life, which is pretty fucked up, but uh, that's what they want to do. So let's see, let's end, let's end on a high note. Uh, it's always nice to end on a high note. Okay, here's actually a groovy list. This is a list about... How can I make my marriage feel like less of a death sentence? I found this on Quora, actually. And I know sometimes people equate being married with a lack of freedom and it being a death sentence. Of course, I guess that would just be a, uh, a perception of things for some people. But here are ways, let's rephrase that as opposed to a death sentence, because that's not really so great. But how can, how can I keep my marriage uh, fresh, lively, and lovable? Let's use the three L's uh, or no. One F and three, uh, two L's. 
fresh, lively, and um, yet lovable, livable, however it may be. Linga Longa is saying, till death do us part. Yep. So here are some ways to make your marriage more, or your relationship, regardless of what it is, right? Because even if you're not legally married, it's still a environment together. 6-4 Arian is saying, do fun activities together and have a good sex life. Yes, totally important. Epiphany is saying, marry the right person. Totally important. And there's even been studies that say that uh, men in bad relationships, you know, obviously women too, fair, you know, you, you, your health can be dependent on this, right? Why does die before women because we want to? Why do men die before women? Uh, good question. I think oftentimes it could be stress. There's a lot of um, things that people have kind of asked this question. Is it stress? I think actually here's an interesting theory that kind of goes along the lines of the EMF thing and the fear and the iron. Women have a chance for about 40 plus years of their life where they bleed and they discharge many things, iron and heavy metals and things like that. So it's thought to think that women live longer because we get that monthly detox where we purge, you know, out our uterine lining. And of course, if that doesn't happen, it, you know, pregnancy occurs and all of that. So that's one of the reasons that's thought that women will live longer than men is the fact that we have a chance to, to purge once a month. And also men oftentimes can... I guess we both can stress, but maybe men take on more of the um, provider stress. Let's put it that way. Of course, it's it's different for certain people and relationships and families, but provider stress could be a huge thing for men. Lingalonga is saying, do you think oxygen kills us over an 80-year period? What do you mean by that? You mean people getting older? I mean, we need some oxygen, but we need carbon dioxide as, as well, like rusting. That's from the iron. Uh, the oxygen just facilitates the oxidization of the iron, right? So whenever you see like rust on something, that's oxygen and iron together. So yeah, I think it's really the iron, but it's in the context or in conjunction with the uh, oxygen. That's why they put uh, iron in the food because they want our bodies to rust out. That's one of their goals, of course, right? They just see us as, uh, as machines anyway. So what are some of these things that we can, fuck them, yes, exactly. What are some of the things we can do to um, keep our relationship uh, lively, loving, hot, spicy, sexy, all that jazzy stuff? Number one, treat each other nicer than you would anybody else. Number two, do things together, both planned and spontaneous. Number three, spend time talking together. It doesn't have to be major discussions about how you both feel. It can just be about anything, just talk with each other. So you can even be talking about anything, right? Number four, don't yell at each other if it can be avoided. Remember, you are treating each other nicer than you treat anyone else. Number five, treat each other respectfully and do not do anything to purposely hurt one another. Know that you can trust one another. Number six, be playful. Smile, laugh, and tease each other. Number seven, flirt. Number eight, be sexually adventurous with each other. Don't let sex go by the wayside or take a backseat to all things that keep your lives busy. Number nine, when you do get mad, be willing to apologize quickly. Number 10, kiss a lot. Number 11, have little rituals that you keep every year just to show how much you enjoy certain things. You want to keep doing them because they have meaning for both of you. For example, planning a weekend trip at the same time each year. I'll give examples for things I do. Going apple picking in the fall. 
of course, the holidays would be something. Um, something else I like to do is um, go out east, you know, on, on Long Island and uh, spend a day out there, like near the farms and things like that. So those have become two little rituals in my own relationship. Number 12, compliment each other, even if the only thing you could say is wow. It's always nice to get a compliment, even if you've known someone for years and you know, you know what they look like. It's always nice to get a compliment from someone else. Make sure you tell your spouse you love them. Prove it with your actions. So there's two ways to tell someone you love them. It can come out of your mouth or you can, more importantly, prove it with your actions. Number 14, have a planned date night at least once a month and take turns doing the planning. That can definitely keep things spicy. This one sounded really cute. Play games like paper kiss. You hide pieces of paper around the house. Each piece of paper has a description of a kiss. When you find one of these pieces of paper, you have 24 hours to initiate the kiss that is described with your partner. That was a huge hit at my house. This is someone who wrote this on Cora. Number 16, buy special little gifts for each other for no reason other than I was thinking about you. Like just say, oh, I bought you this crystal because I was thinking about you. Number seven, listen to music together and come up with some favorite songs that mean something to both of you. Like, you know, quote, our song, right? Number 18, make up special nicknames for each other. This was also a huge hit in my house. Number 19, remember what made you fall in love. And number 20, never let anything that would hurt your relationship into your life. So a little bit there, 20, 20 ways to... Um, I guess not just keep a marriage zippy, but also, I guess, just ways to respect a person. But see, it all has to do with keeping this tone the whole time, treating each other respectfully, flirting, you know, keeping that sexual spark alive. I think sometimes when that isn't there, people can get, um, you know, a little different or a little iffy with each other. So, yeah, some good some good tips right there about how to, you know, keep the relationship uh, fresh and all that jazz. 6-4 Aaron is saying, fuck Zog and their poison. Lingalonga is saying, great show. And Epiphany is saying, always a great show. Go check out her other shows. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So yeah, just some little tips there. Um, you know, there are antidotes to this death culture. You know, there, it may feel like dire a lot, you know, living and breathing and just seeing and all the crap that goes on in the world. But um, there are good things out there sure just have to, we have to remember that sometimes and yeah you're welcome uh, lingalonga i'm glad to see you here in the chat and just so everyone knows moving forward i put this on my telegram but i know not all of you have telegram moving forward at least for the summer season which will be like i guess i don't know september or something whenever the um autumnal equinox occurs uh this will be the day for white wellness tuesday will be the day for white wellness i guess if you're in different parts of the world it may not be tuesday anymore maybe wednesday um but this will be the time slot moving forward for white wellness. And it will probably be around this time around like, you know, two, I'll probably start the show around like two ish, depending on when my, um, you know, when my, what my schedule is. So what's the telegram, my telegram, I'll drop it right here into the chat so everyone can see it. I have, I have a bunch of telegrams, but my main one is called, um, white wellness, just like this show. And this is my main channel. And you can find all of your other information for the other channels through this main channel. So there it is, t.me backslash white wellness. And um, 64 Aaron is saying, if possible, let your woman be a stay-at-home woman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a role that's not really 
promoted it's actually kind of like downgraded these days but yeah a lot of women relish that role like they love it it allows them to be more feminine more yin more receptive and it also creates that sexual polarity in a relationship right so like that's really especially for like a spicy sensual sexy um, relationship and time to have that polarity of you know male and female. she's at home she's yin she's receptive she's feminine she's nurturing she's caring and then he's out there he's making the money he's protecting he's bringing that home you know to care for both of us so when i always sit down to dinner with my mate i always say thank you for providing this for us like thank you for going to work and providing this for us and he always says thank you for cooking it for us so even something like that like both doing you know the role I'm cooking it and he's, you know, going out and providing for it. So, yeah. And Lingalanga is saying that his wife is at home, eight years of, uh, of this arrangement, and it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. And Epiphany is saying Zog wants both to work to get more taxes. Absolutely. That's what the whole Rockefeller feminism was based on, right? And also it was a way to really pollute women and make them think that it was oppressive to you know, have this feminine role and that it was better to work for some gross Zog boss who cranks up the AC so he can see your nipples and underpays you, right? <laughs> but, you know, making a sandwich for your man, that's oppression. It's crazy. Six for Aaron is saying, couldn't set it better myself, Tabitha. Thank you. Lingalonga is saying, LOL, now they are trying to destroy masculinity. Yep, absolutely. They don't like strong masculine men, especially strong masculine white men. Just they don't like, you know, strong feminine powerful white women they know that um and together th those two together that's a force right they definitely don't like that that's why they put all this garbage this MGTOW shit this feminist shit um this is just shit I mean it's for nobody it's also to create more of an environment that kind of is receptive to transsexualism too because if you masculinize women and you feminize men I mean how far off is that from transsexualism right? It's kind of like a slippery slope. Not to say that every feminized man is a tranny or every masculine woman is a, is a tranny, because that's certainly not true. But, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope. And not to say that you have to be this picture perfect version of like, what is feminine, what is masculine, there's a huge gradient of that. Like if you don't have to have long nails to be a woman, you know, like I don't think guys should have long nails or wear nail polish, but that's like completely and totally a different, different uh, subject altogether. But you know, there are many ways to be feminine, just, you know, being receptive, you know, surrender. Those are all feminine qualities. Lingalaga is saying, beat the men down, convince us that transsexuals are the pathway to AI embedding. Yep. And make it okay for men not to stand up and fight. Yeah. They've done that. You know, a lot of, it makes a lot of men feel powerless, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure it makes both sexes feel powerless, especially when they see these, these videos of this, these beatings and all these things, right? I mean, it probably makes a lot of men not only feel powerless, but also feel rage, right? And maybe like this powerless feeling of rage. Like you have this feeling where it makes you so angry, but you feel like you can't really do anything to, to fix it. So everyone out there, just to, you know, know that we're in this death culture, it um, can't last forever, right? Nothing can last forever. As they say in macrobiotics, the bigger the front, the bigger the back. So it can't all last forever. And just to keep yourself strong, keep your relationship strong, um, keep your body strong, and don't fall for the hoaxes. Because there's so many hoaxes and psyops out there. Remember, there's two sexes. 
viruses don't exist. Um, critical race theory is a hollow hoax. There's always a hierarchy in nature. There's a hierarchy among race, among culture, among sex. There's, it's always going to be this way, right? Lingalonga is saying it's terrible as a man. At times I've idealized leaving it behind. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I can't, I'm a woman, so I, I can't personally relate to that. But I know that men are in a lot of pain and they don't necessarily show it the way, you know, a woman will, will cry or, you know, get emotional in a certain way. But a lot of men just, they don't have, either they've, they've been told that's not how to react or they just, they just don't have that within them. So a lot of times a man will kind of retreat into himself when he's feeling very, um, you know, very wounded like that. Lingalonga is saying women need to ask for men to stand up. See, that would be incredibly powerful if that happened, because like the saying goes, there's always a good woman behind a good man, right? Women have a lot of control about how a man, you know, goes about his life. She can cut him down or she can lift him up, right? And, you know, men oftentimes rely on a woman to be that person who is like their number one cheerleader. It's different, I think. And this isn't like a, an anti-woman sentiment at, at all. But yeah, you're right, Lingalonga. It, em it empowers both of us, right? That's what really it's, it's, it has to be about. But if all women just said to their men, like, will you fight for us? Like, will you fight for our race? Like, that would probably be an immense turn on for men. But it would also make them feel like they got to live out their masculine purpose, which is a lot of men now are not in their masculine purpose. Maybe they go and they they box or they they do something and they let it out. Maybe they go and they have a night of drinking or something, which maybe isn't the best thing overall. But men are lacking. They're craving masculine purpose. Epiphany is saying in the end, this current paradigm will fail. It's unsustainable. It's so unsustainable. It feels like it's like this teetering tower that like it's like a house of cards and just someone's going to and it's all going to blow down. Right. Six four Arian is saying, as a man, I accept the challenge to take on the current Zog system and will do anything to thwart their agenda. That's very noble. We need more men like that who have sentiments like that. Lingalonga is saying, same brother, but we have to wake up all those Suki men who are just standing by and watching. Yeah, and there are a lot of men who are maybe just not really knowing what to do and maybe a little bit younger. Who knows? You know, who knows? And Epiphany is saying, seeing the men on here give me hope. Yeah, it's good to know that there are masculine conscious men out there because sometimes you, know, you look around, you're walking around, you're like, well, gee whiz, where did masculinity go? Is it is it just out? Is it totally extinct? Has it gone the, the way of the woolly mammoth? Sometimes I think that when I go out and about. I mean, Oftentimes when I'm out and about, I see more women that look good than men. And of course, I'm not looking at either of them, you know, like, on, like I'm on the prowl. But typically women these days, most of the time they look better. And not to say that men don't look good, but unfortunately, there's a lot of men who have just been kind of, you know, dragged down by a lot of the Zog stuff. Lingalonga is saying it became toxic by perception. Yeah, of course, that toxic masculinity, that's just a hoax for men who are masculine to kind of be demasculinized. I think I think most people can see through that. I think that phrase has kind of been going by the wayside for, you know, a little bit of time now. So. So we're almost out of time. If anyone has any more comments or questions or anything else they want to say, this would be the time to, to say it now. It's good to see more humans in the chat. I did advertise the show a little bit before, so I think that I think that helped a little bit. So just so everyone knows, moving forward, Tuesday will be the day for this. Um, and we'll just be moving forward with that, be doing a show about once a week. 
And there's always extra offerings on the Patreon too. So if anyone wants to look at the extra offerings or just um, give some support on the Patreon, you could always go there and do that. All of that information is, I probably should add that to my Podbean, but all that information is actually over on the White Wellness Telegram if you're already not on there. And I'll probably be looking to put a little kind of like tidbit every week or so on the Patreon. So a little bit of something extra for the people who are on the Patreon just to get like a little extra white wellness morsel. So it could be a PDF, it could be an audio clip, it could be like a chart or something like that. Just just a little something extra just to give back. Linga Longa and saying nice to meet y'all. Yes, indeed, nice to have you here. Um, and greetings from New York. And Exo Star is saying for the Zoomer generation, the girls do not help uplift the boys at all by mixing and the Tinder culture, which has been crazy high lately from what I've seen. Yeah, I know the younger generations are more kind of in that thing, the whole Tindery thing. And I guess there's mixing and a lot of that's promoted. And of course, I guess a lot of these younger people, have maybe they've gotten the vaccine. Who knows? Maybe they're stuck in the anti-white critical race theory where they're stuck in the LGBTP. I mean, that I think the Zoomer generation in general, what is it, one out of six Zoomer, like, doesn't even know, like, what sex they are or thinks, thinks they're a homosexual or something. I don't, you know, gay. I mean, I don't, it's, a, it's a lot of, it's sad. It is sad. It really is sad. I mean, there probably are people, like, I think, like, Generation Z either is, like, Generation Zog or Generation Zyklon. Like, it, it can go either which way, right? Are you a generation, are you Generation Zog or Generation Zyklon? Like, either way it can go. Just like that channel Zoomer Waff, and there is some stuff that's good that's coming out of it. But then a lot of these Zoomer youngsters are they're, they're really into the mixing, which is, uh, gosh, it's, it is sad. Epiphany's right. It's really sad. But we can hope that maybe they find a show like this. That's always my hope, you know, that a show like this, like that's kind of a little softer, you know, it uses appetizing language, you know, isn't like very angry. Sometimes we need that. But, you know, my approach is, is softer and more feminine. And hopefully they'll find it, or like Epiphany says, hopefully they'll grow, grow out of it. Maybe it's just a phase. Like, there are plenty of people who were just liberal in college and high school, and they grew out of it. So, yeah. Lingalanga is saying they can be themselves, but men still can't have babies. No, and they never will be able to. That's uh, the reality of things. So I think the pod bean's probably going to boot me in just a moment. But thank you, everyone, for joining us, or joining me, rather, for this broadcast, Flourishing in the Death Culture on White Wellness Radio. Uh, great conversation in the chat. Be sure to catch all the shows over here. Go into the archives. Follow me on Telegram. Follow me on Patreon. Have an amazing day wherever you are in this big white world. And we will be connecting again on the next broadcast. Sanam.